This is David Wilson and welcome to episode number 28 of On Another Track. Welcome to On Another Track with me, David Wilson, exploring people and places from around the world. A podcast series that takes you where you've never been and probably where you never want to go. On Another Track is speaking with people we can't meet with face to face. We use remote video technology and software to see what they have to say. Our podcast interviewee is very different this week. In fact, it's my first ever interviewee that I had on On Another Track. His name is Tom Matty, and he was the only Mackenzie friend here in Canada and North America. Now he's taken On Another Track to heart, and he's now become the PPC member for Grease Bar here in the city of Edmonton. And he's going to be running in the current general election that's coming up here in Canada on September the 20th. Maxime Bernier, a former Conservative MP and Cabinet Minister in Stephen Harper's Canadian government, formed the PPC in 2018. Their mission is to offer Canadians a real principled alternative to existing parties. They envision a bright future where government puts Canadians first instead of trying to please other countries and global organisations. They want to make Canada a place where you and your family can thrive instead of just getting by and, more importantly, achieve your dreams, no matter how big or small they are. The four party principles that Tom believes in are freedom, responsibility, fairness and respect. I encourage you to listen to Tom's interview and form your own perspective. Please be aware this interview was carried out prior to the announcement of the federal elections on August the 14th, 2021. And of course, being outside at Borden Park, our noise was a little bit higher in the background than it normally is in a studio. First, start by asking Tom, what in the earth possessed him to become an MP? Well, David, it's wonderful to see you again. And um, yeah, I'm I'm going through another life change as if doing Mackenzie Friends and trying to disrupt and fix the family law system wasn't enough. Um, you know, that's been very successful and I've helped a lot of people greatly. And it's wondering, it's just going stunningly. But um, I've been frustrated because I really realized that the issues in family law are systemic and they're deeply rooted in, in the way Canadian culture and institutions, particularly political institutions, have changed. And there is so much media manipulation and stuff. So I really felt that trying to change and fix these broken systems through just the actions of a McKenzie friend wasn't sufficient. So... Uh, a couple months ago, I, I was really thinking, as I always do, how can I really solve problems and my actions add real value into solutions? And that's often the challenge. You know, people now are very frustrated. Uh, the typical methods like petitions and talking to your members of parliament and stuff are just not working. They're not listening to us. And if you try to get on the media or social platforms and, and you have a divergent opinion or you want to really change things, again, that you get cut off, you get censored. So I thought, really, where is the root control of all this? It's in politics. And I didn't really ever want to be a politician, but I decided to throw my hat in the ring. And so right now I'm hosting an event to meet the nominee because I'm going to be running uh, for a member of parliament for the Edmonton Grease Bar area. And I think, you know, if I can get in there, I can really start to make the changes. So um, how did I get in there? Well, I was originally thinking of starting my own party because... 
I felt my my opinions, my views were not being reflected by the standard parties and the typical party lines. Uh, but I've been listening to this fellow named Maxine Bernier, who's from Quebec. He was a former progressive conservative party member who split from the party, saying that they were not honoring their traditions, the wishes of their supporters. Um, they were breaking their promises. And he'd had it to the point he left the party. He was an MP and he left. And that's a pretty bold move. And I can appreciate and get behind leadership like that. So the more I listened and talked to this guy, uh, the more I was you know, impressed by him. And I found out he was running a new party called the People's Party of Canada. And I went and I read their platform. And I would urge anybody in Canada to definitely go and check out the People's Party of Canada, check out that platform. Um, it resonated with me greatly. It's not the platform necessarily that I would write, but it's pretty close. And it's close enough that I would be confident and happy that uh, voting along those lines, I would be creating a great future for Canadians, a legacy for the current people and their children and their grandchildren. And so I joined the party and eventually they came and they said, you know, are you interested in running as a nominee? And I said, hell yeah. <laughs> and so that brings me to today. Uh, we have an event here to meet me. We've got about maybe 15 people uh, here right now, which isn't bad. We're anticipating a snap election call to come very soon, which is a tricksy wixy thing because it gives small parties like ours that are less known uh, a harder chance to run. But I've got a phenomenal campaign team, amazing people that I'm just so humbled and, and happy that I, I don't understand. They're throwing their support, their time, their energy behind me. I, it almost brings me to tears thinking of people um, thinking so well of me and my ideas that they would they would give this to me, their time, their energy, their effort. And that's just amazing. So I've got one question. If if somebody was thinking of becoming a candidate, because they, they probably still do have time, obviously the election hasn't been called yet. What sort of qualities do you think that people need to be able to step up to the plate and do this type of role? Sadly, the many of the people who do this now have selfish you know, mental reasons. They want power. They want control. They like being in the public eye. Um, I don't want those people. Um, I really want people that don't want to do this, <laughs> if that makes any sense. It, it really, it, it takes the courage of people who say, you know, um, a great society is built by doing what you have to do, not what you want to do. And, and I really feel strongly that this is an area we went wrong. We've spent the last few generations telling our youth, do what you like to do, you know, find what you like, be happy, you know, have sleep, sleep easy, don't be stressed, don't, don't be into conflict. But that really just allows people who are bad an easy time to run their, their bad, evil programs. So, you know, this is something that has to be done. If we're going to save Canada for future generations, and that's the important term, future generations, people have forgotten that voting and putting uh, people into power who will truly create a great future, not just for you, but for your progeny, uh, for your nation, for your community, is, is very important. It's one of those things that has to be done. So I guess the people I want to see doing this are the people who want Canada to achieve its full potential, who want Canadians, for want our children and grandchildren to have as good a future, as good of a, a life as we enjoy today. Um, right now, we've had people elect governments that constantly run, you know, deficits. That's borrowing from our children. And, you know, if you love your children, if you care about the future generations, you would never allow governments like this. 
And so that's an example of the kind of attitudes. People have to come in willing to sacrifice today for the children, for the grandchildren, for the future of this country. And, and ultimately, I mean, for the, the future of the world. And I don't think that's a hyperbolic statement. I think Canada can be a leading nation in terms of the values, the culture of, of showing how you do it right. And I've been constantly frustrated my whole life to be in a nation where we have an educated population, we have tremendous resources, we have people who are driven and, and smart, and yet our country's limped along. You know, we're the only first world nation which survives on selling their natural resources. That's unusual and in a way it's kind of unnatural. Most first world nations have advanced beyond that and they're offering services and technology and research. And Canada could be at a forefront there. You know, we talk about the Avro Aero, and, and Canada was once a leading nation in, in aeronautics and aerospace. And now, you know, where are we? Um, Bombardier is, is not doing very well. And we've had these opportunities that I think have been squandered and wasted, and I think they have because of bad leadership. Um, and I'm hoping to change that myself by getting a position in Parliament where I can actually have a say and, and start to have a direct influence on those decisions and bring the voice of a very frustrated um, people into parliament and um, get things done because I'm all about getting things done. So you, you did talk very, very briefly about yourself. So if people want to get behind you as a potential candidate for the PPC party of Canada, what things do you have in your bio, so to speak, that would really you know set people's mind at, at rest and say, no, this is a great guy. He's got great experience. He knows what he's doing, knows where he's going. How would you sell it to them? You know, I think one of my huge strengths in terms of, you know, being a parliamentarian is the fact that I've had this really incredible diverse life. So I, I grew up in a city in uh, the district of Griesbach where I'm running in a district called Delton in sort of what we call the low rentals, you know. So I, I was out there with the other kids throwing rocks at each other in the 70s. We had rock fights. <laughs> And, uh, you know, my friend's mother would come out and kick our butts and <laughs> tell us to stop doing stuff like that um, a different time. But, you know, I grew up in that kind of an environment. I was successful academically. I was a I was sort of a classic nerd. I liked Dungeons and Dragons, was president of the chess club and the astronomy club. I loved science and astronomy, highly influenced by Star Trek. I was a Star Trek and Star Wars junkie back before it was popular to be these things. Um, you know, but I grew up in a neighborhood that, Kids were tough. I was in a lot of fights when I was a kid. Uh, I've been punched a few times <laughs> and thrown a few punches, um, you know, and I had a lot of great friends and, you know, a good time growing up. But when I got a bit older, we moved out to the country. So I lived in a rural area, a little hamlet called Busby. And uh, I went to school in a, a small town called Westlock. And, um, you know, it was really odd being there because, I mean, if it was unpopular to be a nerd in the city, imagine what it was to be a nerd in a town like Westlock. <laughs> so that was some interesting challenges. Um, you know, when I was in the city, I, I didn't get bullied much because I would fight. But uh, as I got older, I realized fighting was not a good thing. And so when I was in Westlock, I kind of got bullied and just kind of sucked it up. But people could tell by my stoic nature, it, I don't think it was going very far. And I, I think I had the uh, respect of my my fellow high school students, but not necessarily their friendship because I was an oddity for them. So um, I loved astronomy, uh, left high school to study for a physics degree at the U of A. Um, I kind of realized, though, that to be an astronomer meant doing a PhD and stuff. And I just didn't feel 
I, I had it in me. And I really love the side of astronomy of looking at the stars and, you know, star hopping your way from a star to a galaxy to a nebulae, you know, and I, I love doing that. Um, I was a member of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada. I wrote some magazines for some astronomy or some articles for some astronomy magazines. And I had some of the best friends of my life at that time. Um, I ended up switching and doing a B.Ed. in mathematics. And I think I did a short term teaching high school math. Um, that didn't work out very well for me. I found that students nowadays did not have the, the drive or, you know, schools had become uh, different than than I had expected and, and liked necessarily. So I ended up becoming an instructor at Nate uh, at the Alberta Vocational College, which I really liked. And I think some of my time teaching at uh, the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology was, was wonderful. Uh, but at one point, um, you know, I like life changes and diversity. So I had the opportunity to go and work in, in Thailand. So I went there to teach. And uh, I, I was basically recruited by some Thai university professors at the Rajamagala Institute of Technology. So I went to Thailand, what was supposed to be for a year, and uh, felt, met a girl there, fell in love, and ended up staying for almost 12 years. And that was an interesting experience because I was always entrepreneurial. So I opened up an English school, a guest house. Uh, I was a professional photographer. I uh, ran a bike shop for 19 years. We had the only mountain bike shop in Northern Asia for a while and the only one that was Park Tool certified. So uh, during the day, I would be, you know, teaching physics and mathematics. And then during the weekends and evenings, I was wrenching bikes at my shop and uh, doing a lot of other things. And it was really interesting living in a different culture. I learned to speak Thai fairly well. And um, it was it was just fascinating and wonderful. And then, uh, you know, I worked ended up working for several multinationals in pharmaceutical industry, typically in senior management positions. So I was a factory operations manager uh, for an American company and ended up building a factory from scratch in a rural area. And that was a challenge. It's probably the hardest job I ever did in my life was we we expanded to five times the size. And, um, you know, you're working with a different culture, people who don't speak the language. And it, it was really interesting. I've got a ton of fascinating stories about working there. Um, I worked in aerospace companies and I worked for electronics companies. In 2009, I, I uh, came back to Canada. Uh, the reason being that my kids were getting older and I wanted them to get an education here. Unfortunately, things with my, my Thai partner were not going well and we ended up being thrust into the family law system. And at the time, I'd become a professor here in Canada, an adjunct professor, meaning I taught under contract and I was working at Grant McEwen. Uh, later on, the University of Alberta and Mount Royal University, um, all great institutions that I, I really liked working in. But uh, I did see changes coming in them that concerned me. Um, and even during my time, though brief at those institutions, I did, you know, I tried to participate in the changes that uh, that I wanted to see kind of happening. So I've always been sort of that, you know, uh, I think the quote is from Oscar Wilde. But I'm not sure if that's the correct guy for attributed to others. But the, the quote is, a reasonable man adapts himself to the world around him. And an unreasonable man tries to make, adapt the world to fit him. So all change, all progress, all advancement depends on the unreasonable man. And, and that's been me. I, I've been kind of that unreasonable guy trying to advocate for uh, progress, change, progress and changes that I thought as being the best things for not necessarily me, but for the people around me. And that's fundamentally the difference is I would often advocate for changes that wouldn't benefit me, but that I saw as being beneficial to the people around me. Knowing from my experience in Asia that 
that's what's really important to make the positive changes for me. In Asia, what I saw is you have a huge socioeconomic disparity. And you saw these rich people with these great mansions and they're driving Mercedes and they've got this wonderful life. And they drive out of their wonderful gated mansion and they're surrounded by unhappy people, by garbage, by by poor infrastructure. That, that's not, that's not going to make you happy. You want to drive out of your mansion into a nice park, into an area where people are happy, where other people are thriving. You know, it, it broke my heart sometimes that the, the owner of the company was driving a Mercedes and his staff were, you know, sleeping in the factory underneath machines. And, and I really had the attitude that, well, look, man, I think if you're an entrepreneur and you develop a great factory, um, you, you deserve to drive that Mercedes, but the people kind of lifting you up there, they should be driving Toyotas, right? That the, and, and look, I was a senior manager. I had that, I get paid in a month what my operators get paid in a year. So I had that lifestyle. And you would think, and what I see a lot of people is like, well, they advocate for that. It's like, well, I'm doing good, man. I, I don't want, but it didn't feel right to me. And it still doesn't. So I would advocate for changes that would maybe hurt me a little bit. Um, should the entrepreneur, the guy who takes a risk, get a better reward? Absolutely, for sure. Should it be 500 times more than everybody else? That I have a bit of a disagreement with. So anyways, um, I came back to Canada and uh, my Thai partner threw us into the family law system. And I could not believe what I encountered in that. The, uh, the destruction, the chaos, the, the ignorance, the bias, the things that should never have existed in a country like Canada were just rampant. And I was furious. I, I was upset. I was angry that what I've been taught my whole life, our justice system and our culture, our society is all about, was literally ignored. And then I saw other things happening in my country. I, I saw the erosion of Canadian values. I saw the erosion of freedom of speech. I saw the erosion of ideals that I had learned and learned deeply because millions of people died in the past to break out of serfdom, to be able to have the right to say what they want. They, they, they died as serfs. They died in other people's wars. Um, and that we'd gotten out of that. And I saw us going backwards. So can't fix everything. I decided to focus on family law. Um, my kids, you know, this was a very hard time for me because when my kids were taken, I, I went from being a professor to all kind of being basically homeless, you know, living in people's homes uh, that, that would take me for a while because I, I couldn't afford things. And it was awful. And, um, you know, the mental and emotional anguish I went through missing my kids because they'd been abducted to overseas. It was un indescribable. But I'll tell you what it did do. It made me really understand a lot of marginalized people and how they get there and why they're the way they are, why they're frustrated, why they may react in anger in ways that are privileged and higher up people don't understand. Like, why are you getting like this? Why are you so irrational? Why are you yelling? You know, well, it's because you've, you've lost your kids or you've, you've lost your home or you've lost your job. People shouldn't have to be calm and rational in these situations. They have a right to actually be angry. And I, I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, you know, up to limits, right? You don't, don't be violent and stuff. But um, yeah, and I saw more and more our society was not listening to those marginalized, underprivileged people who were struggling. They, they looked at their attitudes, at their concerns and said, well, you know, we'll, we'll toss you a bone or two. Here's a little bit of welfare. Here's a bit of help, you know, and, and now you should be happy. They're not happy. People are happy when they're fulfilling their potential, just like nations succeed when they're fulfilling their potential. Um, I believe very much in sovereign independence. You know, Canada sh 
can and should be able to take care of most of its needs itself. We shouldn't necessarily be beholden to the global empire and sourcing necessary and essential goods and services from other countries. Now, I have an economics degree. I, I did a master's in economics. And um, I know the importance and the cost savings associated with global enterprise. And I, I, I can respect that. Um, but there's a time for things. And, and right now, nations are not aligned in values and cultures. And so being beholden to nations that necessarily don't share your values and stuff is a way to maybe be invaded, taken over. You know, that's hyperbolic to say. But it is, uh, you know, perhaps in the future, a truth is we're seeing a lot with, with Chinese interference in many, many nations, including Canada. So I believe in, in sovereign independence. And I believe in individual independence. People are happy when they can afford their home themselves, when they can put food on the table themselves, when they can pay for their children themselves. And that's so important. You know, in my work as a McKenzie friend, I saw the difference in people who had jobs and people who didn't. And the difference in, in their well-being, their emotional and mental stability, their ability to function was huge, night and day. People need jobs. They need jobs that allow them to be independent and free. And I saw that being eroded. You know, I've seen people becoming more and more and more dependent on government. And it's gone to the point now where I saw a statistic once that said one third of Canadians, or maybe this was Alberta, but it's probably the same nationally, in some way are receiving their money from the government. When one third of your people are beholden to the government, how can you ever expect to, to have power or control over that entity? It's going to control you. And, and so I, I've watched all this and I'm you know, I know it's sort of a long getting into this, but I saw this happening. I thought, okay, I need to do something. I need to do something about family law. I need to do something about the erosion of values of freedom of speech. I need to do something that the marginalized people who are kind of, you know, we want you when you're voting, but we don't care about you otherwise. Or we think that your anger and your uh, your issues are really, you know, that's your issue. We'll just, you know, we'll give you enough food to keep you alive and, and you should be satisfied with that. Um, I thought the only way to do that is, well, get into... Get in the government. Get in the government. So, uh, coming back to Maxine Bernie and the People's Party of Canada, I read their platform. Not necessarily the platform I would write, but I think it, it's an excellent platform. And again, encourage anybody to look it up at the PPC website. Uh, but I could get behind it, and so here I am today, running as nominee. You're halfway through listening to On on the Trap with me, David Wilson. My guest this week is Tom Matty, Mackenzie Friend, and now a nominee for the PPC Party of Canada. Next, I want to ask Tom about the bridges the party's building to relate to the person in the street. And also, what's the party's policy on Alberta, race and immigration? What they're doing, and this may sound odd, it's the first thought that pops into my head, so let me be careful saying it, but I think they're doing the important thing of tearing down bridges to the government. They're not building the bridges. There's too many bridges right now between government and the people. What people need is autonomy and freedom, self-reliance, and and government needs to get out of the way a bit more. And so I think, you know, to to throw this back at you, I think they're, they want to tear down some of those bridges. They want less government involvement with the people and they want less government involvement on a national level with the provinces. They want the provinces to be more autonomous. And I like that because, you know, Canadian culture is unique and special. We have this enormous country. And, you know, when I talk to Newfoundlanders or Newfies, as we, we love to call them here in, in, in all, you know, happy camaraderie, um, 
their culture is quite different from Alberta's culture. And I think giving provinces more autonomy to deal with their more local people is a wonderful way to promote the values of Canadian diversity while, while still having a unified national agenda. And so uh, I think we want to break down those bridges and give people more autonomy, more freedom. And I think when you do, you're going to find people do great things with it. You know, I think a directed people, there's this attitude in socialism that a directed people achieve more than an undirected people. And I think history has proven that to be very false. It, it, it has never been a really highly successful, uh, strong socialist country. And I'm talking communist level. You know, I think socialism is great, but it, it needs to be very moderate. And I think over time, it should be reduced, reduced, reduced as you build the culture, the education, that people can become more autonomous in, in ways that are beneficial to the community. So I think the PBC recognizes that. And people have always, uh, the greatest achievements in our species are often by individuals. You know, Isaac Newton, Copernicus, um, Keyes, you know, great names, great people. They've often achieved things as individuals. So let people, give them the opportunity to achieve and do things uh, themselves. You know, and that's a great analogy, blowing up the bridges. I'd never have dreamed or thought of it that way. But here's one thing, and again, you did allude to this. You talked specifically about the area that you're representing, which is Griesbach. Was that, I hope I've got the pronunciation right. Is that right? It's Griesbach. Griesbach. My, my favourite composer, uh, Bach. Okay, fair enough. And so that's fair and square in the centre of the city of Edmonton, which is the capital of Alberta. So let's talk about Alberta and what you think is not just as yourself, but as a party, how you can really help Alberta. And you did allude to a couple of points that uh, Maxim has, has made, but tell us a little bit more about what we're going to do for Alberta. Well, I mean, one of the things that the PPC is about is letting provinces determine their future a lot more for themselves. Albertans in general have been very frustrated at their relationship with the national parties in my entire lifetime. You know, in the 70s, I mean, we all hated uh, Justin Trudeau's dad, Pierre Trudeau, because of the way he treated the West. And the West has been marginalized, you know, and a lot of individual people from certain groups should really identify with this. The West has been marginalized the same way that individuals get marginalized. The East has profited and taken from Western Canada for, for shall we say, generations. And I say generations because I want to personalize this. It's, it's not, they're not taking from provinces. They're taking from the people in those provinces. And that makes it a personal battle. It's not a political battle. This is a personal thing. You know, when the money I earn and the money the, my province gets from their resources, and then somebody else comes in and essentially picks our pocket for it, um, you know, that's a personal thing. And I think Albertans have been generous and, and fair. We've, we've paid these equalization payments to the East for generations um, Albertans and their children have made sacrifices so that the East and their children can benefit. And that's all fair. I think that's that's good for national unity. But Alberta's been suffering lately. And now when we go and we say, hey, like, we're having a tough time, man. Can we get something from you? And it's like, no. <laughs> you know, it's like you're dating this person and you you give to them and you give to them. And you're thinking this is, this is going to be a reciprocal relationship, a healthy relationship. And then, you know, one day you say, well, look, uh, I don't really have the money in my wallet to buy supper today. How about you buy supper? And they're like, what? I'm like, no, that's, that's not how it works. You, you buy supper. You, buy, you always buy supper. <laughs> and I think the PPC is coming in and, and they're saying, you know, no, uh, we're going we're gonna to expect the East. Even though we're a national party and national parties thrive on Quebec and Ontario votes. But to those of you in Quebec and Ontario listening to me right now, that has to end to build 
a strong Canada. You know, when I studied business, we studied something called suboptimization. And the idea was that in a business entity, you cannot maximize the efficiency and the output of your division, of your department in that company without essentially causing the entire entity to become less efficient. You know, it really becomes necessary that each province has to take a few hits so that the nation as a whole is strong. And that's what I want people in Quebec and Ontario to start thinking about is if, you know, it's like that guy who drives out of his mansion. He wants to drive out of his nice mansion and he should be driving into nice parks and nice streets. And that's what you want. You don't want to drive across Canada and have great roads and and wonderful schools in one province and then a crappy province across the way. And that's what national parties have to strive for. And that's not what they're doing because they want the votes of the East. They they're willing to sacrifice the West until the PPCs come along. And, you know, Maxime Bernier is an Easterner, but he's come along and said, yeah, this isn't right. If we want a strong nation, and it is going to be better for the East in the longer term, we have to be willing to, to work with the West in a more equal, productive way. And he's absolutely right. I saw this when I, when I worked for big multinationals. Um, we had a few selfish department managers. And they would, they would fight in these meetings about preserving their little KPI, their key performance indicator that they liked, you know, and it was playing hell with my department. You know, I can't wait 90 days for you to pay an invoice because I'm getting people fixing my big machines tomorrow and they want to be paid or they're not going to come fix my machines. And if they don't fix my machines, we can't build airplanes. So, you know, but their attitude was like, nope, I, I, my KPI is keep that money in the bank as long as possible. And you, know, you can't do that. And you can't do that in, in good companies and you can't do that in good countries. One thing that I've noticed looking at the media and the, the other parties are very good at this is that they're going to string along, you know, uh, I don't know, a headline that really doesn't have any substance and obviously maximize it. That's the, the political game that these parties play. But what I've noticed is one of those ones that keeps coming out is one about racism. The fact that, you know, we're not being multicultural or, you know, within the PPC party. Uh, can you talk to that at all? Sure. First of all, David, I'm going to challenge your, your, your language again. You say the headlines don't have substance and I disagree. The problem is the headlines have too much substance and they're false because they know a lot of Canadians are, are perhaps too apathetic. They only read the headline. And so they throw out a headline you know, designed to immediately trigger an emotional response, to immediately trigger ideas. And then the people don't read the next thousand words of the article. So I think in a way the headlines have too much substance and that substance is designed to manipulate and misdirect. Um, What people need to do is to read the text. And especially with our media in Canada, who've essentially been bribed by government, federal government payouts, um, (laughs) I don't even know if you read it or not because they have an agenda. And it's so sad, you know, I, when I was young and grew up, we were really proud of the media in Canada being independent and, you know, being objective and challenging government every chance they had. And again, in my lifetime, and I saw this when I was a kid, I was talking, when I was 13, I was talking to my family about the, the Murdochs and stuff, buying all the radio stations and all the TV. And I thought like, this is not a good thing. Even that young, I was thinking about the stuff and going like, this is not a good idea. If the media is controlled by one family or a small group. You know, and then it became very corporatized and corporate, of course, is, you know, they can afford to work with government. And we've seen statistics when I studied my economics degree, we talked about the fact that one of the best return on investments you could get is lobbying. If you can lobby, you get more return 
you know, and most of this data came from the United States, but you get more return lobbying the government for laws that protect your company or allow you to monopolize than you ever get from doing research and, and developing new value-adding products. That's crazy, you know? You're not supposed to make money or a profit without adding value. And we're totally turning that on its head. You know, we've got all these non-value-adding activities that can add enormous profit, and that, that shouldn't be happening. Um, but the headlines and stuff, I mean... People need to look for alternative news. Um, they need to, to be open-minded and critical thinking. You know, I'll give you an example. You know, Maxime Vernier um, and the PPC party is all about freedom of choice. And, you know, they have come out and said that these vaccines for COVID um, should be a people's choice. And the headline scream, PPC's anti-vaxxers. They're not anti-vaxxers. You know, again, if you read below the headline, what they're saying is people should have a choice um, the, the deaths from COVID and stuff we feel don't warrant a mandatory system. Uh, but sure, I mean, take the steps you want to do to protect yourself and your family without infringing on other people's rights. You know, I, I, when I was in, in school, in social studies in high school, I remember, and, and I don't know if high school still teach this, but I remember my social studies teacher, Mr. Seward, <laughs> I remember him to this day, and he said, you know, the way to define um, rights is that, you know, the rights of your fist and where the rights of my face begin. In other words, if you want to get vaccinated, if you want to wear masks, you know, that should be your choice. Um, but that shouldn't be you mandating your choice onto others. I don't think, and the PPC doesn't think, that this particular pandemic warrants that. Now, if it did become, you know, if you had a huge death rate from it and stuff, we could reconsider stuff like that. But the headline screaming anti-vaxxer, or, or racism, which is another thing they do because the PPC policies on, on immigration and refugees are, are tighter than current governments. Um, I think they're quite reasonable. But you get these headlines, these substance headlines that scream racist, and people don't read past that. Just to talk to that a little bit more, I'm going to press you on it. Where are we on the immigration side of things? Where do we stand as the PPC party? So the PPC party's mandate is Canadians first and foremost. And the concern is that, you know, mass amounts of immigration we've seen in Europe and in the United States, um, they, they cause job issues and employment issues, uh, particularly if you're bringing in elderly or infirm people who can't contribute to the economy or add anything of value. Um, there's concerns about this and it costs the native Canadians a lot of money. Um, it costs them a lot of opportunities and it's ultimately not good for them or their children. You know, and again, let's take the far point of view. You know, even if you're willing to, to give away um, the resources, the, the, uh, the progress that Canada's built to other people, is that fair to your children? And, and if you don't have children, is that fair to other people's children? Because the legacy that we create uh, is designed to be passed down to our descendants. You know, it is the privilege of the sacrifice and the hard work of our forefathers. And it is an inheritable privilege. And that's the way the world works. And I think that's fair and equitable. And, you know, for certain people, I think opportunities to come in and share in that is, is fair. But it has to be done in such a way that's also fair to the people today. And that's what the PPC party wants to do. They're, they, they want to, you know, right now, where we have huge debt, high unemployment, well, there's a lot of Canadians suffering and struggling, it's not reasonable to bring in hundreds of thousands of people to, to come in and, and start seeking jobs and seeking opportunities that are rightfully, you know, 
um, owed to the descendants of the people who built this country. And to clarify that, as a PPC party, you're not against immigration. That's the point, isn't it? You're not against it. You just want to regulate it in some way at the moment. Is that correct? Absolutely correct. Um, some of the ways they want to regulate it is that, you know, we want to reduce the numbers overall. And again, that is because, you know, we've got a lot of people who've already recently come into Canada. Um, they haven't really developed themselves into um, contributing members necessarily yet. And some have, you know, but, but overall, I mean, they're, they're struggling a little bit and, and they're also causing extra struggles for Canadians. And so the idea is that at this time we need to reduce, you know, and that's normal. Like when your family has a, you know, loses an income, you budget, you change what you do in your family to accommodate yourselves. And that's, that's all we're at right now. There's been changes since the, you know, since the early 2000s when money was everywhere and you know, economies were growing, then okay, you can take a lot more people. And one of the other things too is, is there is, you know, the PPC is very much about um, preserve, you know, I'm going to say uh, preserving because Canada does have an identity. We do have cultural uniqueness. Uh, the fact that it, it comes from a, a long history of, you know, Anglo-Saxon values does not mean it's not been Canadianized by all the people who've lived here for generations. So Canada does have an identity. And there is a Canadian culture, and the PPC wants to preserve and develop that. The, the party's line is to spend a lot of money and resources to help, you know, groups preserve their culture and, uh, and their institutions and their ideas that sometimes run contrary to Canadian values. And even Canadian laws, in some cases, um, doesn't make sense, you know, especially if we're not spending any money building the Canadian identity. And so the PPC party, this is sort of two things I'm coming into here is that one, we want to put money, effort, resources into preserving, building, you know, and franchising the Canadian culture, you know, so that people in New Brunswick can really preserve their unique heritage. And at the same time, um, they, are, they are planning on a values test for newcomers to Canada, essentially saying, look, you know, if you want to come to Canada, here are our values, and you've got to be willing to ascribe to, to live within these values and, you know, if within your home you want to have your own sort of systems, that's okay. But overall, once you're out in the country, in the public, surrounded by your fellow community members, um, we we expect you to, you know, uh, work within these values. It's like me. Like, I'm not 100% behind everything in the PPC party platform. But I feel that if I'm elected, people need me to vote that way because they've read the platform. And they have a reasonable expectation to say, well, I like this platform. And then my MP is supposed to vote that platform. That's fair. Outside that platform, I'm going to listen to people. I'm going to listen to my conscience, you know, and I'll vote the way uh, that's going to be the best for Canada. Um, one other thing I think that's important uh, that people need to understand, and it goes back to what we discussed earlier, is that as a candidate for Greasebaugh, and if I'm elected to Greasebaugh, um, I'm working for the federal government, which means I'm working for all Canadians on some level. You know, so it's like a weighted thing, right? Um, maybe 60, 70%. I got to listen to people in Greaseball, for sure. But on some level, I got to sort of look, try and do what's best for all Canadians. And if people of Greaseball have to give up a little bit so that all Canadians can do well, I think that's a fair thing. But it should be discussed and explained to them, right? And that's where the participation in politics is so important. People are so apathetic now. And I think if you went to a district and you said to people, you said, look, man, uh, we got to have a good military, you know, we, we, and you're going to have to pay a bit of money for that. Or we need good national highways, and you're going to have to pay some money for that. I think people would say, well, you know what? Yeah, 
I want to drive to Quebec and, you know, I'd like to travel on good highways to do that. They're willing to do that. But see, right now, nobody asks them. There's all these national policies and agendas and nobody's talking to them and saying, explaining that your sacrifice today to the federal government is going to build a better life for you and your kids. That's not really being talked about. They just seem to do stuff. And often they're doing stuff that doesn't make the people happy and they haven't explained, you know, and, and often I don't see what they're doing as actually benefiting the people. Um, Canada, the other thing the PPC wants to do is we want to stop sending so much money overseas. And again, it just goes down to the simple fact. If your family is struggling to buy food, you know, you don't go in and start handing out money to other people. You, you've, your alliances are to your family, you know, and that's proper, appropriate, and that's just normal humanity. Um, Canada right now is not in a situation to be sending billions of dollars overseas. Not when we have a lot of Canadians to take care of. Now, once they're taken care of, can we send money overseas? Absolutely. And I think that's that's fair and reasonable. Well, thank you very much for giving up your time today. And I know we're live here in Borden Park in the centre of uh, the city of Edmonton. Just a couple of questions before we go. Um, you did briefly talk about the um, platform. How can people get access to the platform and see the platform and, and really try and understand what PPC are trying to do? Well, there's this QR code right here, David. They could just <laughs> click... <laughs> Yeah, that's great. You know, we're not exactly on video, but no, I, I like your joke there. It was very good. But uh, but uh, do they have uh, a website that's easy enough to access? They do. Uh, www.peoplespartyofcanada.ca. Okay, and just final question. How can people get a hold of you personally? Because obviously they may have questions on what they've heard today. Uh, what's the best way of accessing you? Is there a telephone number, an email, or, or a Facebook page? Uh, the best way is uh, my website, which my wonderful campaign team has you know, hard at work building for me. And that is www.electtom.ca. Superb. And I'm going to just push in one final thing, and we're going to look at the crystal ball. When do you think the election might be at called? Well, we're hearing news that a snap election might be called as early as tomorrow. And a snap election means an election that is called to happen very, very quickly. And so they're talking, we might be voting on September 20th, essentially giving, you know, uh, people like me very little time to react. Um, but we're going to do everything we can. And I think, you know, if Canadians read that platform, uh, if they get educated and it doesn't take too long, I think we can do well. It's just lifting people out of the sense of apathy and hopelessness that seems to be kind of the menage that, you know, that seems to surround us today. Okay, Tom, I want to thank you so much. So that was Tom Matty, the PPC nominee for Griesbach in Edmonton. I've got that right, have I? You've got it perfect, David. And thank you very much for your time and uh, the opportunity to reach out to not just people in Griesbach, but to all Canadians in the hopes that we can start to create the legacy that this country and our descendants deserve. You've been listening to On Another Track with me, David Wilson. My guest this week is Tom Matty, Mackenzie friend and now the new nominee for the PPC party in Griesbach in Edmonton. Remember, there are more conversations coming up in this series. Just look out for On Another Track with me, David Wilson, on your local podcast platform and subscribe. This has been a BritCam production for Urban Aspect Incorporated. Keeping us safe on the roads of North America.